Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And strangely on your screen right now is not a logo for any video game company, although Activision, Blizzard, or Microsoft could easily take up this spot. Instead, it's, weirdly, a definition of the word cloying, meaning disgusting or distasteful by reason of excess. We'll get back to that. Trust me on that. If you've been in virtual legality for a little while, you know we've been covering the biggest transaction in gaming history, Microsoft's purportedly imminent purchase of Activision Blizzard. But that process has to go through a very important review by what we believe, based on rumors, to be the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC. As part of that review, they'll be looking through Microsoft's documents, correspondence, talking to market actors, doing various things to analyze whether Microsoft's purchase of Activision either creates a monopoly, which is a little bit unlikely, or in some substantive way has the chance of reducing competition in a market to be determined by the FTC. They aren't limited to just saying it's all of gaming, and that's an important part of this conversation. So the FTC is going to be looking pretty hard at Microsoft for potentially the next year, which means that Microsoft is very invested in making sure they portray themselves as a white knight, the good guys, against a lot of bad guys, and particularly bad guys that Washington, D.C. has already identified, which is what we see revealed today. Before we get into the details of the blog post we'll be analyzing today, I do want to remind folks this channel is supported by Patreon and by viewers and listeners like you. If you're interested in supporting the channel, please do check out the tiers there, one of which includes the ability to sponsor a video. Today's video is sponsored, and we give special thanks to Opal Studded Dagger. Thank you so much, Opal Studded Dagger. We cannot do it without folks like you. If you are interested in supporting the channel, please do check out that Patreon. Now, a little under a month ago, we saw a tweet from Phil Spencer that went a little bit like this. Had good calls this week with leaders at Sony. I confirmed our intent to honor all existing agreements upon acquisition of Activision Blizzard and, as highlighted here, our desire to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. Sony is an important part of our industry and we value our relationship. Now, I did a video on that and apologies for the size of the thumbnail here. YouTube sometimes does that. And I said, as a corporate lawyer, that I was pretty optimistic that that meant what it appeared to say, that Phil Spencer was telling you that Microsoft would keep Call of Duty as a franchise in whole with future potential entries into that franchise available on multiple platforms. You then actually, after this announcement, saw Sony by Bungie and Bungie actually say Destiny and their other games are gonna stay multi-platform. As we talked about in that video, there is a reason to believe that multiplayer games that have battle passes, that have microtransactions, are potentially more useful even to hardware manufacturers across the video game industry than they are just to silo off and sell your plastic boxes under the TV. And I think we're seeing that writ large in both Microsoft and what they're evidencing and Sony with what they're evidencing. But Microsoft wants a little bit more credit than that. In order to understand exactly where Microsoft's coming from, how they're trying to deal with regulators, and how you should take it, in my personal opinion, we have to go back to one of our more popular and longest-running series here in virtual legality, an antitrust epic. Now, this series was all about Epic Games' war on Apple and Google for what they declare to be monopolistic, primarily pricing, but also access to their ecosystems, their app stores, and everything that Tim Sweeney and Epic Games wants. 
Now, as part of this project, we saw something important and frankly, usually confidential and may have been a mistaken disclosure by the court in this case. And that was legally privileged and confidential documents talking about how Epic wanted to control the narrative of what they were going to do. Epic, if you may recall, or don't know because you hadn't been following that story, immediately added a second ability for purchasers in the Fortnite ecosystem to purchase directly from Epic instead of through Apple and Google. They reduced prices to indicate that you should go directly through Epic. This violated all sorts of terms of service. They knew it would. And their so-called Project Liberty was designed to foment a federal lawsuit and a marketing campaign, as we see summarized here. And apologies for the size here. This program that they're using to put this up doesn't work very well for enhancing of size. Project Liberty's goal is to end the anti-competitive 30% tax on the Apple app and Google Play Store. Epic will introduce Epic Direct Pay on Apple app and Google Play with 20% discounted prices relative to those charged by the mobile app stores with consoles receiving the 20% discount to maintain price parity, having nothing to do with the actual terms of service of those consoles. Apple and Google may reject future Fortnite builds and or block the existing Fortnite build in retaliation, which they did immediately. And the court said it wasn't retaliation. It was a breach of contract that gave Apple and Google the right to do that. Epic will embark on an aggressive and sustained legal and media campaign until platform fees are lowered, apps are allowed to use their own payment platform, or third-party app stores are allowed on mobile. Keep that list in mind. And Epic will attempt to lead a coalition of other leading tech companies in a PR and policy campaign against the 30% tax. Why do you do this? You want to pass mobile payment processing savings on to consumers to create a better relationship, create a better ecosystem for developers, remove anti-competitive barriers to Epic introducing a competing mobile app store and feasible economics for Epic and creators in preparation for Valkyrie paying creators for Fortnite-based content. So why does Epic want to do this despite all of their PR as we talked about at length in that series? They want to make money. They want to enhance their reputation. They want to have that reputation lead to more and better revenue sources for their company. Nothing wrong with that. That's what companies do. Always had a difficult legal claim to make, but they also had the wherewithal to create this coalition, which as of October of 2020 actually included Microsoft, as we will see, because this is all a part of the same story. Keep all of that in mind to the best that you can as we talk about what Microsoft put out there today. In a blog post entitled, Adapting Ahead of Regulation, a Principled Approach to App Stores. And am I the only one that's bothered by the after the, after the colon titling there, not including any capital letters? It's very hip, I guess. Either way, Microsoft said the following in the very first paragraph, all of which is important, which is all of the reason why it's highlighted on your screen. Today, we're announcing a new set of open App Store principles that will apply to the Microsoft Store on Windows and to the next generation marketplace we build for games. Now, we should already take a step back here because what Microsoft is telling you is that they are intending to do things that they think will make them look good to their own platform, the Microsoft Store. But what's also important to analyze strategically from a business perspective on this kind of thing is what the folks that are saying this are actually giving up compared to what they can gain. Remember, the Microsoft Store, not exactly a leader in market share. And what we wind up talking about with respect to open app store principles will, for the most part, 
be attached to Android and Apple, which is very much a place that Microsoft wants to break into, as we will see in just a minute in this video. Now, continuing from that first sentence, we have developed these principles, why? In part to address Microsoft's growing role and responsibility as we start the process of seeking regulatory approval in capitals around the world for our acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Now, this is interesting, right? As we talk about so often here in Virtual Legality, part of messaging is knowing your audience, who are you talking to and why? It's a little bit odd to admit in the first paragraph that one of the reasons you're telling anybody about these things is that you're trying to go through a regulatory approval process. In fact, I will mention this again at the end of the video, but for those inclined to think this way, the fact that this statement exists, the fact that Microsoft is apparently kicking off a PR campaign designed for the eyeballs of regulators indicates to me that Microsoft thinks there's a non-zero material chance that regulators could try to stop this up in some fashion. I know a lot of you come into my comments and say, 80-20, that's ridiculous, Rick. How can you even say there's a possibility here? And I would like to continue to point you to the market stock price of Activision Blizzard, just to indicate to you how very smart people, unlike myself, invested in this company, think that there's a material chance that this gets blocked, stopped, or otherwise mitigated against, right? Microsoft has said they are buying this asset for $95. If you are sure it's gonna go through, then the price isn't gonna be 81.28 as it is today. It's gonna be 93.50 because a meteor could still hit their headquarters or something along those lines. 81.28 suggests that the market thinks there's a very real chance that something could go wrong here. And Microsoft going out with a statement and clearly kicking off what we would expect here in virtual legality to be a series of statements from here based on trying to convince the FTC and the EU and the UK and everybody else that there's nothing to see here. We're the good guys. Suggests that Microsoft and their lawyers think that there's some chance that these regulators could decide to step in. Folks tell me Microsoft has great lawyers. Microsoft has a ton of lawyers. All of that is true. And what they would have told Microsoft, as I told you here in virtual legality, is, hey, the environment here, the FTC and the DOJ, is that they might want to make an example of big tech. So Microsoft doesn't just say, okay, we'll sit on our hands. They start to try to control the narrative. They're a big company. They don't just hire lawyers. They hire PR folks. They hire marketing. They have plans in their boardrooms that look like this, that say, how are we going to do this? How is this PR campaign going to go? And so you get statements like these. Continuing. This regulatory process begins while many governments are also moving forward with new laws to promote competition in app markets and beyond. We'll talk about that more in a minute. We want regulators and the public to know that as a company, Microsoft is committed to adapting to these new laws. And with these principles, we're moving to do so. So the overall thesis, remember when you talk about any kind of messaging, you put everything you can into that first paragraph primarily into that first sentence, if you can do it, to tell folks what this is about. And they tell you it's about getting our Activision Blizzard acquisition approved by regulators. And somehow that connects to open app store principles. How that connects is an open question, as we will discuss when we see those principles in action. As we've said on other occasions, we recognize that the emerging new era of tech regulation brings with it both benefits and risks, not just for a single company, but for our entire industry. As others have pointed out, there are risks with any new regulation, and these deserve a fair hearing and thorough consideration. But as a company, we continue to be more focused on adapting to regulation 
than fighting against it. This is a position you can take, by the way, if you have a 2.2 some odd billion dollar, trillion dollar market capitalization. You can go and say, well, we'll get the regulation to where we want it and then we'll adapt to it rather than fight against it. In part, this is because we have been adapting for two decades to antitrust rules and we've learned from our experience. Yeah, look up Microsoft versus the Department of Justice from the 90s and early 2000s. While change is not easy, we believe it's possible to adapt to new rules and innovate successfully. If you take anything out of this paragraph, it should be that Microsoft is in favor of this regulation. Whatever it might be, it doesn't get a name in this blog post. You are dependent on places like virtual legality to even tell you what they might be talking about here and why this statement is ultimately more transparent than they would like you to believe. We'll get to that, I promise. The principles we're adopting today will also ensure we're providing the best possible experience for creators and customers of all sizes. These principles are grounded in App Store legislation being considered by governments around the world, including by the United States, the European Union, the Republic of Korea, the Netherlands, and elsewhere. While no legislation is perfect, we believe it's possible to implement these new laws and continue to innovate responsibly and grow a healthy and profitable business. This is what lobbying looks like, folks. This messaging is pretty clearly not directed to you or I so much, as much as you might read in the heading here, dear FTC, dear EU regulators, dear whomever might otherwise be looking at this transaction, we want you to know your legislature is good people. Your government and your agencies are reviewing things, and we think that's wise. We are all in favor of those things, and so we're going to adopt some rules before you even pass your laws, because why? We're good guys. Our vision is to enable gamers to play any game, on any device, anywhere, including by streaming from the cloud, which of course puts them into a box in a little respect, because they've already said things like Starfield and particularly games coming out of their Bethesda acquisition will not be available on PlayStation, presumably to drive people to their revenue sources like Game Pass and Xbox. Nothing wrong with that historically, but it is odd to continue to see Phil Spencer and Microsoft make blanket statements like, we want games available everywhere, as long as they're connected to Xbox somehow is the unwritten end of a sentence like that one. But they also want you to note, app stores on the most relevant and popular everyday devices like mobile phones, PCs, including Windows PCs, and in time, the cloud, are important to realizing this vision. You know anything missing there? I bet you did. Video game consoles, boxes under televisions, do not appear in that list. Microsoft continues, but too much friction exists today between creators and gamers. App store policies and practices on mobile devices <clears throat> restrict what and how creators can offer games and what and how gamers can play them. Our large investment to acquire Activision Blizzard further strengthens our resolve to remove this friction on behalf of creators and gamers alike. Now note, this friction in this sentence applies to mobile devices and they want to tell regulators that they are not going to end the problems with mobile devices or more specifically, they're not going to end the frictions, but they would like to do so with these principles that they are adopting. Specifically, our open app store principles make commitments in four important areas. Quality, safety, security, and privacy. All developers will be enabled to access our app store as long as they meet reasonable standards for quality and safety. We'll continue to protect consumers who use our app, ensuring that developers meet our standards for security. Presumably that's safety and security. I'm not sure those are actually two different principles, but fine. We will continue to respect the privacy of consumers, giving them controls to manage their data 
and how it's used. Fantastic. Accountability. We'll hold our own apps to the same standards we hold competing apps, and we will not use any non-public information or data from our app store to compete with developers' apps. That's a problem that you see Amazon running into, and we saw the Senate Judiciary Committee discussing about how Amazon collects data from the folks that use the Amazon platform to make their own products or otherwise compete with the developers on their platform. So Microsoft says, we're not going to do that. We read that report. Here are the things we're going to commit to. Fairness and transparency. We will treat apps equally in our app store without unreasonable preferencing or ranking of our apps or our business partners' apps over others. What quantifiable metric you would use to determine the reasonability here is completely unknown to me. Seven, we will be transparent about rules for promotion and marketing in our app store and apply these consistently and objectively. So what do we got here? Access, meet standards, respect privacy, We'll hold our own apps to the same standards. We won't use non-public information. We won't do illicit competition just because we're a platform holder. We'll treat everything out, uh, equally as long as it's not unreasonable. We will be transparent about rules for promotion and marketing. Okay, so all of this pretty easy, nothing wrong with that. Then you see some red highlights. Developer choice. We will not require developers in our app store to use our payment system to process in-app payments. This is part of the Epic lawsuit. Don't have to use our payment system. We will not require developers in our app store to provide more favorable terms in our app store than in other app stores. We will not disadvantage developers if they choose to use a payment processing system other than ours, or if they offer different terms and conditions in other app stores. And we will not prevent developers from communicating directly with their customers through their apps for legitimate business purposes, such as pricing terms and product or service offerings. This last one is highlighted in yellow. That was what the Epic Court tried to enjoin Apple from having in their rules. Ultimately, that particular injunction got stayed pending the Epic versus Apple appeal. But one of the things we said when we were reviewing that legal case and that appeal process is that regulators, legislatures, were likely to move on this perhaps even faster than the court system and their analysis of the Sherman Antitrust Act. And you see it here writ large a little bit from Microsoft. Now, you might also say to yourself, and I think justifiably so, okay, Rick, that relates to Epic versus Apple. What exactly does that have to do with the acquisition of Activision? And to that, I would tell you, I don't see much of any connection. What Microsoft seems to want to do with this statement is say, there is legislation being considered, and we're going to adopt these rules that that legislation would require of us anyway to do beforehand just to demonstrate how much of a good corporate citizen we are. They also commit to a number of other things. We will continue to enable developers to choose whether they want to deliver their apps for Windows through our app store from someone else's store or sideloaded directly from the internet. We'll continue to give developers timely access to information about interoperability, and we will enable Windows users to use alternative app stores and third-party apps, including by changing default settings in appropriate categories. These new commitments build on a set of more limited principles for the Microsoft Store on Windows that we adopted in 2020. Now, here's where the rubber really hits the road when we're analyzing what in the world Microsoft is doing here, because as I mentioned, Microsoft is an ally of Epic's in their fight to break open the Apple and Google app stores. In, I believe it was day two or day three of the Epic versus Apple trial, the Xbox team actually sent in Lori Wright to talk about how Xbox is different from mobile devices and how there still needs to be an opening for these various things and saying a lot of the stuff that Microsoft just said today 
but in a different context. Because Microsoft, before the Epic versus Apple trial was even happening, had adopted <clears throat> 10 App Store principles to promote choice, fairness, and innovation in October of 2020. That's what you see referenced here, that they are expounding on what they adopted. Although, as you'll see in those particular principles, they actually include a bunch of other things. And where do they come from? Today, we are adopting 10 principles building on the ideas and work of the Coalition for App Fairness. What's the goal of the Coalition for App Fairness? App developers deserve a level playing field, and we're an independent nonprofit organization founded by industry-leading companies to advocate for freedom of choice and fair competition across the app ecosystem. Which company is the industry-leading company that kicked off the Coalition for App Fairness? You already know the answer to this. Remember, that last bullet that we read you is that Epic will attempt to lead a coalition of other leading tech companies. Yes, the Coalition for App Fairness is Epic's attempt to get rid of that 30% quote-unquote tax to get their stuff onto the iOS and other ecosystems in order to benefit themselves and potentially other developers at the same time. And Microsoft jumped on this, the Coalition for App Fairness's overall principles, in October of 2020. Why? Because the Windows Store, the Microsoft Store, whatever they wind up calling it at any given moment in time, has such a small level of market share that it is vastly more important from Microsoft's perspective to crack in to the iOS and other ecosystems. And if they can do that, it makes sense for them to advocate these things, especially, and we'll see this in their statement today, if they can differentiate between your iPhone or your Android and their Xbox, right? Even if they had to sacrifice Xbox walled gardenness, their control over the Xbox marketplace in order to break into places like Apple, in my opinion, they probably would. But instead, Microsoft and Xbox is going to try to skin the onion very thinly and suggest that they're okay with these kinds of things for mobile, and for other operating systems and for other use cases, because frankly, it's not going to hurt them that bad and could benefit them wildly, but they're not as okay with it for Xbox. Keep your eye open for that. We'll get to that paragraph in just a second. But what I wanted to highlight for you is in October of 2020, years before Activision had lost its market share, years before Phil Spencer and Microsoft probably even had a twinkle in their eye to consider purchasing Activision, Blizzard, and King. They went out with these particular principles. Developers will have freedom to choose whether to distribute their apps for Windows through our app store. We will not block an app for Windows based on a developer's business model. We'll not block an app based on a developer's choice of payment system to use for processing purchases. We'll give developers timely access to information. We just saw that. Every developer will have access to our app store as long as it meets objective standards and requirements for security, privacy, quality content, and digital safety. We just saw that. We'll charge reasonable fees. We'll not prevent developers from communicating directly. We'll hold our own apps to the same standards. We just saw that. Microsoft will not use any non-public information from its app store about a developer's app to compete with it. We just saw that. Microsoft is going out with a regulator-facing statement that effectively was 99%, if not more, achieved by Microsoft ostensibly more than a year ago. In the fall of 2020, they want credit for that as good guys in the face of an Activision regulator review. And in all honesty, I think it's a transparent enough play that it's not going to do them that well with the FTC or any other regulators anyway. When we're talking about all of this, it's plainly obvious 
that Xbox and Microsoft has a vested interest in seeing these things go through. One, because as they mention in the top of their own statement, they have to comply with regulations that are passed in any event. And two, because that's the purpose of the Coalition for App Fairness. Microsoft is not just a platform owner. In fact, their platform isn't that interesting. They're also a content deliverer. And if they have content to deliver into other platforms, well, yeah, they'd like to crack that window open. Or as they say at the end of this statement in October of 2020, apps play an important role in the daily lives of billions of consumers and help to enable the modern digital economy for millions of businesses. But the innovation that drives the app economy also needs healthy, and vibrant digital platforms. We know that regulators and policymakers are reviewing these issues and considering legal reforms to promote competition and innovation in digital markets. We think the CAF, that's the Coalition for App Fairness, principles and our implementation of them can serve as productive examples. Keep that phraseology in mind because this is in fact how you see giant multinational corporations lobbying and trying to control the regulatory process in the first instance. Right? Epic and Microsoft and other leading tech companies go out there and establish what they're willing to do and then hope that the regulatory infrastructure effectively matches what they want to do. And they also help them a little bit. Hey, by the way, this, this applies primarily to computers and phones. We really don't want this to apply to Xboxes. And lo, when you see what they're dealing with in the current environment, you see exactly that. This is a Verge article from yesterday. Everything you need to know about the bill that could blow up the App Store the Open App Markets Act, and the, the biggest thing you need to know is it's way, way, away from passage. There's still a lot of steps to go before this bill would be adopted, although there's a possibility that it will. And you can see in the summary that The Verge gives, which I think is largely correct here, it says, companies that operate app stores with more than 50 million U.S. users shouldn't engage in certain potentially anti-competitive behaviors, including requiring developers to use the company's in-app payment processor penalizing a developer for offering better prices, restricting developers from directly contacting customers, using private analytics data to build their own competitors or unreasonably, there we see the word again, preferencing their own apps in search results. If a company that owns an app store also controls the underlying operating system, as would be the case here, it also has to make it easy for users to perform the following tasks. Install third-party apps, choose third-party apps and app stores as system defaults or uninstall or hide pre-installed apps. What Microsoft has a very long form FTC facing statement issued today actually doing is, yeah, we'll comply with the law and they promised to comply with the law early, but maybe, maybe not, as we'll see as we continue this statement. The important aspect of this is that this is what the law would require if it were actually passed. It's also what Microsoft adopted and specifically essentially advocated for. We think these are good examples for regulators and legislatures to actually adopt as their rules. This is Microsoft asking for these rules to be implemented on both them and more importantly to Microsoft, Apple, and Google. The Verge rightly notes that because all of this happened from the Coalition of App Fairness and how Microsoft is operating, the law actually defines the terms that this would apply to as websites, software applications, or other electronic services on a computer, mobile device, or any other general purpose computing device. That seemingly exempts consoles like the Microsoft Xbox and Sony PlayStation, although it's entirely hard for me to understand how the legislature using the word computer gets you out of that, but this other might be doing some work there, which features lockdown app stores, but are specialized gaming devices. Yes, they are specialized gaming devices that can also generally surf the internet, play Netflix, and do many other things, uh, but that will be a fight for another time if this law actually passes. 
But this is what Microsoft and Xbox was aimed at, right? Epic was always using a sledgehammer to try to attack Apple and Google. And one of the things I said is if they are monopoly controllers of their ecosystem, then that goes to every other tech-based company that controls access to their hardware. And the court basically has that complaint in their footnotes and in their statement in their decision. And here you'd be using a slightly less large sledgehammer. It's certainly not a scalpel for this kind of thing, but you're aiming it specifically at Apple and Google because that's what you want to do. Now, this would be challenged on any number of grounds if it passed, but that's what Microsoft wants credit for. Now, the part of this that's actually getting reported on widely in the gaming industry is the following. We also recognize that regulators may well have other important questions as they review our acquisition of Activision Blizzard. We're committed to addressing every potential question, as is required by law, and we want to address publicly at the outset two such questions here. First, some commentators have asked whether we will continue to make popular content like Activision's Call of Duty available on competing platforms like Sony's PlayStation. The obvious concern is that Microsoft could make this title available exclusively on the Xbox console, undermining opportunities for Sony PlayStation users as we're doing with Starfield and other Bethesda games, which is all right, because we bought the company. To be clear, Microsoft will continue to make Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles available on PlayStation through the term of any existing agreement with Activision. We knew this. We saw those letters go out when we analyzed this in virtual legality. And we have committed to Sony that we will also make them available on PlayStation beyond the existing agreement and into the future so that Sony fans can continue to enjoy the games they love. Now, the most obvious and I think correct reading of this paragraph is that future Call of Duty entries, Vanguard 2, no, that's probably not going to be a thing, Modern Warfare 9, whatever it might be, will be made available separately on the Sony PlayStation. But folks continue to come at me in the comments on my social media suggesting that that's too optimistic a take. I will say this. If you are still inclined to read this as cynically as possible, you can read We've Committed to Sony that we will make them available on PlayStation applies only to those Activision Blizzard titles that are currently on the PlayStation. This actually doesn't talk about forward sold games as much as it talks about continue to enjoy the games they love. Now, I think Microsoft would be the height of foolhardy. If they were to put this out there, if they were to talk to the FTC using language like this, and then they were to say day two after the deal closes, oh, and by the way, yeah, you're going to keep playing Warzone and whatever else was already released and will be released under our existing contracts. And then everything is over. You can keep enjoying the games that you love that released before we bought Activision. Isn't really the read that they are projecting out to the FTC. And there is political cost to going back and playing games with language like this in public facing commentary. So I think the best way to read this is Call of Duty stays on these platforms. As I said, that makes a ton of sense for Destiny, makes a ton of sense for Call of Duty. I don't know what other popular Activision Blizzard titles might be captured in this. Xbox, Microsoft clearly doesn't want to commit to that. They do say, as the end of this paragraph, we are also interested in taking similar steps to support Nintendo's successful platform, which for some reason doesn't get a name in this press release. Remember, these things are vetted to within an inch of their lives. I'm not sure why they don't want to use the word switch here, but fair enough. We believe this is the right thing for the industry, for gamers and our business. Fair enough. 
So that's the first thing. That's what's getting reported on a lot. That actually directly relates to their purchase of Activision Blizzard after we scroll through pages and pages and pages of things that Microsoft has already committed to and largely advantaged themselves in some effort to get good brownie points from the FTC and other regulators, which in my opinion is so transparent as to be not useful. And then they address the elephant in the room. And I would say they address it fairly poorly, but let's look at it ourselves. Second, some may ask why today's principles, that's your open app market principles, do not apply immediately and wholesale to the current Xbox console store. Hey, we run a platform that is closed. It's important to recognize that emerging legislation is being written to address app stores on those platforms that matter most to creators and consumers, PCs, mobile phones, and other general purpose computing devices. I like this for a couple of reasons. One of which is the understood implication of that sentence is, let's face facts, folks. Xboxes, they just aren't that important. We know we sell them, but if you actually look at our revenue model, we do a lot more with personal computing and other things in that field. Xboxes, just just not that big of a deal. Of course, in every other communication, they're establishing how big gaming is and everything they want to do with the Xbox and Game Pass ecosystem. But this is amusing. The other thing I would note from this is note exactly how they're framing this. It's emerging legislation that's not going to include the Xbox, which we already talked about, was effectively massaged by Microsoft itself and the Coalition for App Fairness to arrive specifically at that analysis. And what analysis is that? For millions of creators across a multitude of businesses, these platforms, that's PCs, mobile phones, and general purpose computing devices, operate as gateways every day to hundreds of millions of people. These platforms have become essential to our daily work. That's an important word in the law. There's something called an essential facilities doctrine uh, that can crack open specifically closed systems, which the court rejected in Epic versus Apple, but which is raised in specter form by Microsoft here, to our daily work and personal lives. Creators cannot succeed without access to them, even though nobody has ever proven that in any capacity whatsoever in a court of law or otherwise. Emerging legislation is not being written for specialized computing devices like gaming consoles for good reasons. Gaming consoles specifically are sold to gamers at a loss to establish a robust and viable ecosystem for game developers. Now, this is exactly Epic's argument in Epic versus Apple. It's clear in retrospect that Microsoft Epic probably working together on some of these points to get through the court system. The court rejected this in its entirety as separating a Sherman Act antitrust analysis, but that wouldn't mean that a new law couldn't make this a distinguishing characteristic. The costs are recovered later through revenue earned in the dedicated console store. Now, what's interesting about even putting that out there is that this is designed to be the defense for why a video game console doesn't need to be an open app network, but it doesn't make any sense for everything that's espoused above, right? Every single principle here should apply in general to somebody operating an Xbox store. And the fact that you chose a business model that has you selling at a loss and making it back in the marketplace doesn't change everything that happens after I've purchased an Xbox. Don't sell it for a loss if that's a concern to you. It doesn't make any of this less true for your Xbox ecosystem. Worse, it's not apparently even accurate for everybody operating in the video game console space, period. If we go and we look at any given Forbes article, for instance, you see a paragraph like this. The Switch, however, has allegedly always been a moneymaker for Nintendo. Previous estimates of teardowns of Switch components put the total cost at around $257. So at a $300 sales price, Nintendo is making around $40 on every unit sold. Believe me, the math isn't that clean, but 
And if these estimates for the Switch OLED model are right, they've just doubled that to $80 on every Switch OLED unit. Not bad. It has been apparent for a while that Nintendo seems to operate on the premise that they can get a price for their systems that can make them money actually selling the darn things and not just operating with attachment and sales of software. So under Microsoft's rubric here, should Nintendo be foreclosed from being able to operate their app store as a walled garden ecosystem because they're looking a little bit more like mobile phones? The middle sentence here would suggest not because nobody actually needs a Nintendo Switch, except if you're a developer for Nintendo Switch games and that's your speciality. So Microsoft very, very muddled here and you can see why. There is no good reason why everything that they espouse above shouldn't also apply to the Xbox store if we're being honest with ourselves. The plain fact of this entire statement is that Microsoft wants it to apply to those places that will advantage it and not apply to those places where it will be disadvantaged. And they have massaged the legal process in the United States and presumably in other jurisdictions as well to arrive at that conclusion. Sherman Act, Tim Sweeney, it's a bad idea. It could apply to all of this stuff. As the court has pointed out, let's go a different direction. Let's use your coalition for app fairness. Let's get some laws passed and let's have them specifically exclude video game consoles and then rake in the Benjamins, right? Nonetheless, continues Microsoft, we recognize that we will need to adapt our business model even for the store on the Xbox console. Beginning today, we will move forward to apply principles one through seven to the store on the Xbox console. We're committed to closing the gap on the remaining principles over time. That's not much of a commitment language here, but remember, the stuff that was easy is what they're committing to for the Xbox store. You'll have access. We'll meet standards for security. We'll respect privacy. We won't do weird things with the data or otherwise hold our apps to a different standard than yours. We'll treat our apps equally as, unless it's reasonable for us to not do that. And then we'll do it. What does that mean? Who knows? And we'll be transparent about rules for promotion. What we won't do is this stuff. We won't allow you to have your own payment processes. We won't allow you to sideload on our Xbox. We won't allow you to do all these other things that are what is hard and what Epic is actually fighting over with respect to Apple and Google. So we're committed to closing the gap is specious. It's not useful. It's transparently cloying, one might say. In doing so, we will incorporate the spirit of new laws even beyond their scope while moving forward in a way that protects the needs of game developers, gamers, and competitive and healthy game console ecosystems. So we read through this entire statement and what do we learn? One, we learn that Microsoft is committed to doing what it already said it would do in 2020. Bully for them. They're also committed to potentially cracking open other ecosystems and making money on them. And they're willing to sacrifice their own poorly market shared version of an ecosystem in order to get that access. Two, we learned that they want credit for that somehow from the FTC and other regulators. They're white knights. They're good guys. Look at how open we're being. Three, they want that credit for things that they already adopted in 2020 based on the premise that they would have to comply with these laws anyway if they were adopted, right? Because when we look at the defense here, it's, well, these laws aren't going to apply to Xboxes, right? Okay. You're answering a question I didn't ask. I asked why you're not applying these to Xbox. You're saying you're getting in front of all this stuff. These things are important to you, to keeping these ecosystems alive. When ultimately, all you've actually said in your statement is we'll comply with the laws and maybe we'll do it a little bit early to try to get some street cred because we know you're looking at us pretty carefully. And four, 
hey, we're going to release Call of Duty on these other systems. And I think it's pretty obvious that, that intends to be the case going forward. And I think they would pay a pretty penny in political cost if they turn back on this. We're not going to do it with overly dramatic language. We're not going to actually be too committed to future events. Now, one thing I will say as a lawyer is I would have anticipated seeing something here in talking about Sony and their PlayStation that mirrored what Phil said. It's our desire, right, that we want to do this, but we don't control that negotiating table. And if Sony were to say, okay, great, we'd love to have Call of Duty here, but actually it's not 30%, it's 50% now because you committed to this in front of a large regulatory body. And so we think we have leverage over you. Then Microsoft would presumably walk away. Uh, but they are saying that they want to be committed to having these Call of Duty and other popular Activision Blizzard titles. I actually don't know. Are, are there other popular Activision Blizzard titles on console? Leave me know, Let me know in the comments to this video. And I'm, I'm mostly just joking. Obviously there are some, uh, but seriously, Activision Blizzard, primarily the Call of Duty company at this point in time. And with all those things put together, what you have here is a statement that is almost too much for me to take, right? Here in Virtual Legality, we talk about corporate messaging all the time. But here is a giant multinational, multi-trillion dollar company wanting credit for something that it's already done that will benefit itself by its own terms in adopting the Coalition for App Fairness's opening of market principles under the shadow of a law that would force them to do it anyway, unrelated to the thing they want regulatory credit for and a light statement about where Call of Duty is going. This is kicking off the Microsoft PR initiative. It's gonna be a long year, but in that long year, we can only hope that they'll start doing a little bit better than they've showed us today. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy talking about business and law through the lens of pop culture, technology, software, video games, and more, please consider supporting the channel at Patreon, as I mentioned at the top of this video. And thank you so much to Opal Studded Dagger for supporting this episode and this channel as they have for a number of months now. Also, every Sunday at 11 a.m., I appear on a brand new to me podcast called Seasoned Gaming's Bitcast, where you are very, very likely to see this topic expounded upon by a lot of well-intentioned, uh, very intellectual and analytical analyzers, including myself. So if you like this conversation, please do check us out over there. Otherwise, just subscribing to this channel, ringing bells, upvoting, sharing this on Reddit, other forums you might find yourself, Twitter, everywhere that I don't even know exists on the internet. Every single little bit helps. It helps drive that subscriber number up. And as that subscriber number goes up, YouTube pays more attention and the entire process goes even more smoothly. If you did catch us on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.